Blog Talk Radio. Hello, you're listening to Being the Leader, live with Brenda Baird on the Life Coach Radio Network. This episode is the third in a four-part series of our Spring 2017 Management Series. The series is dedicated to discussing the steps needed to successfully transition from an individual contributor to manager of others. In our previous episodes, we discussed management in modern times and the top five great expectations of managers. You can find archives of those shows at brindabairdcoaching.com. Just look under the radio show tab and the archive file will be right there. You know, what I enjoy so much about this series is that it just provides me a way to share with you my professional experiences, both the mistakes I've made and my victories. We've talked about the skills required to communicate more effectively, how to solve problems through others, and resolve team conflicts or difficult employee issues. And these issues are real, and I know because I've been where you are right now. All of the information in our program was developed to help you be a better manager and to accomplish your goals more effectively. A new segment on being a leader called Happiness Works was launched with this spring management series. I absolutely adore it. This new segment of the show takes a few minutes for me to share some of the research and practices learned at the World Happiness Summit this spring in Miami. I believe it will inspire managers to lead from a place of happiness. Creating happiness at work means improving the culture and increasing productivity. So stay tuned and you'll learn the how and why of being more happy in your workplace. Tonight's happiness topic is about how to stop defining our life with labels of good versus bad. Hey, did you know that this show is actually live? Yeah, that's right. You can actually call in to the show and ask a question or share your own personal story or just join me in the conversation with your opinions or, you know, something that you'd like to share. Here's what you do. You simply dial 646-716-9397. Press 1 to get in the queue, and I'll take your calls as they come in. Now, if you're not able to call, you can send your question and comments to Brenda at BrendaBairdCoaching.com. In fact, if you have any questions about anything related to uh, coaching, the program, perhaps you want to be a guest on the program, um, send it to that same email, Brenda at BrendaBairdCoaching.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Well, I absolutely love bringing this radio program to the air every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. Each episode of Being a Leader draws on my 35-plus years of experience of integrating self-awareness to build careers, build better teams, and lead people to take action on creating the life of their dreams. Coupled with my life experiences, I share the principles of core energy leadership coaching. This coaching process was developed by the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching, or as we call it, IPEC. Core energy leadership refers to both a particular and a unique form of leadership 
that literally reveals the process of leading with energy so that it works for you rather than against you. By learning and applying the principles and concepts of core energy leadership, you can in increase your ability to shift your own energy and the energy of those around you. When you do that, you'll help to inspire and motivate yourself and others. You'll feel a greater sense of purpose. You'll get more done with much less effort and less stress. And you'll constantly attract positive and powerful people and success to you. So if you're interested in learning more about Core Energy Leadership Coaching, just drop me a note at Brenda at Brenda Baird Coaching, or you can hop onto my website, brendabairdcoaching.com, and I have an online booking scheduler. You can just schedule some time for us to talk more. Well, thank you for joining the show. As listeners know, it offers some practical advice, uh, personal coaching, and creative new ways of thinking about your common leadership challenges. If you're interested in learning more about new manager hacks that I've developed, just text the word manager to 22828 and join our community of leaders. And you'll get subdued manager tips right in your inbox. I'm your host, Brenda Baird. I'm a certified professional coach and energy leadership master practitioner. Now let's get started with tonight's episode managing and improving your reputation. So grab your notepad, a nice beverage, sit back and relax. This is going to be a great show. And don't forget to call in 646-716-9397. <clears throat> Press one to get in the queue. Now in this first segment, we're going to answer the question, why is it so important to know your managerial reputation? You may have heard this as a child. It's the age-old adage, it doesn't matter what other people think of you, but only what you think of yourself. Well, that's the easy advice, easiest advice to give and often the hardest advice to take. Nearly every coming-of-age story sort of leaves us with this message, right? But when it comes to business and being a leader, that advice is just not going to work. There is a big difference between having strong self-esteem and a positive reputation. And as a new manager, you certainly don't want to simply leave your reputation up to the opinions of others when it comes to reaching your goals or advancing your career. As human beings, developing a strong self-esteem is essential to our sanity and our survival. It's self-esteem that protects you when someone treats you unfairly or you don't understand the reason why something happened. We can't control the biases of other people, but we can control our response to them. So this is where reputation is different from that, different from self-esteem. Reputation actually stems from a person's judgment. And that judgment can blossom into a cloud that sort of levies over an individual or even over a business. This identity or reputation becomes an overlay like a blanket, and it's all anyone can see. Now, that may sound dramatic, but the reality is perception in business is everything. In the modern workplace, this identity of how others perceive us 
exists both in our real life and in our online digital world. Everyone from teenagers to entrepreneurs to entire corporations have a reputation, whether that is good, bad, or somewhere in the middle. Despite what your guidance counselor said in high school, it does matter to an extent what others think, what they say, and how they will champion you in the workplace. Because of the importance of reputation, we would not survive without the positive opinions of our peers. Now, when we carry a positive excuse me, when we carry a positive reputation, it can provide us with group inclusion, while a negative reputation can ostracize us lead to job loss, or even employment problems in a professional environment. The fastest way to a good reputation, whether at home or in the workplace, is to behave in a way that benefits, according to a U.S. News article, traits like kindness, generosity, and honesty help to foster a good reputation in the workplace. It seems that group-orientated behaviors um, especially, and, and here's what I mean by that. Group-oriented behaviors means the ability to get along with others. Plain and simple, pays dividends when it comes to bolstering your reputation. And this is so true for us as managers. In fact, research has demonstrated that your closest social circle may be the main thing holding you accountable to your actions. Think about that for a minute. Without the impending threat of losing your good reputation among your boss, your coworkers, and employees, there's little to nothing holding you back from doing or saying the wrong thing. The reason it works is simple. A bad reputation among peers often leads to exclusion from the group, and we know what that feels like to be left out, and we avoid it. Our online digital life has invited with it a whole new way of showing ourselves to the world, one that's rife with complications for both individuals and for businesses. And this is true of managers and employees of any age. This isn't exclusive to millennials or teenagers uh, or young professionals. This is true of all professionals. Our digital life is a whole new way of how we show up in the world and how we tell people what we're about. Not to mention, when you're doing business with someone on the other side of the globe, sometimes your reputation is all you have. So it is in your best interest to make it the best it can be and to do all you can to develop a positive reputation. Now, if you have any questions about developing your reputation, just dial 646-716-9397 and press 1 to get in the queue. I would really love to answer your questions. You know, a new manager's journey from good to great or ordinary to extraordinary is paved with many well-planned initiatives and efforts. That's why it is very important for new managers to understand the reputation they have in the organization, be it positive or disappointing. 
it's important for you to understand that. It's important for you to be in touch with how do people see you show up? Because the quality of relationships in the workplace is an accurate indicator of your future career opportunities. And that all starts with the boss. A big challenge for many first-time managers is that they suffer from a poor or inaccurate understanding of how their own manager views their performance. And it's this misunderstanding that can get in the way of many managers' abilities to be successful. As a first-time manager, if you are unaware or unclear about how your performance is going to be evaluated, it is more difficult for you to set appropriate goals and targets for your team. Efforts for your own professional development need to begin with a benchmark, and they should include a plan for transitioning from your role as the individual technical expert to now being responsible for the work getting done through others. First-time managers can significantly improve their performance results when they first understand their manager, how their manager sees their success in terms of performance. The reputation the first-time manager has with the organization is critical, too. So first-time managers, ask yourself these questions. How well is the team at meeting goals and producing results? How does the organization perceive the team's contributions and effectiveness? Is the team considered good or easy to work with? It's critical to know how your superiors and peers and your employees view your performance and your managerial style. Here's my per personal experience with this. I had the opportunity to take over a team of five people. And I went through my normal 100-day plan, which included doing a 360-degree evaluation of me, the team, and the products we delivered. What I quickly found was the team had not been given accurate directive before I took over. Their goals were vague and very unclear. Their internal customer complaints had been left undelivered. Now this unfortunate situation was one reason the old manager was removed from her job. However, here's the consequences of this. The team was working very hard, I mean very hard, but on the wrong thing and delivering an absolutely awesome product, just not the product the business needed. This dysfunction left everyone stressed out, including me, in trying to get this ship to sort of change course. So the lesson here is, if you don't know what your manager really expects from you and your team, ask. You know, it's my philosophy. We're all leaders somewhere in our life, and certainly we are the leader of our own life and career. So don't leave your reputation up to the opinions of others. Establishing the right benchmark or starting point, your development plan will be more realistic and achievable. Now, I'm here to tell you, it takes a bit of courage and humility to keep your ear to the ground 
and listen for valuable information about how you're doing and how your team is doing. As a manager, the team's reputation is a direct reflection of you and of your reputation. To do this requires strong self-awareness. A manager needs to know how to control their emotions in the workplace and to be aware of how their actions are affecting others. Have you ever been in a meeting perhaps where somebody says something and a fellow colleague may just explode or their face turns red or sometimes people will get really red necks and chest or you can see the veins pop out on the side of their necks and you wonder, wow, what in the heck is going on with that person? Why are they getting so upset over that sort of flip comment? That is an example of someone who really is not in control of their emotions, meaning they're living at the effect of life instead of controlling their emotions, looking at situations in a more neutral way, and then showing up the way they want to show up in that particular situation. Now, there are times when we do need to be angry, and there are times when we are angry, and we have right to be. But in the workplace, you will gain much yardage if you can learn to control your emotions. Sometimes this is called emotional intelligence, emotional quotient. It has a variety of, way, of names. But the reality is it comes down to these two simple things. How well do you get along with others? And how well can you control your emotions in the workplace, particularly around episodes of stress or crisis? Managers with poor reputations will find it harder to get support from initiatives. They will probably not receive full and helpful efforts from others. What this means is your reputation determines if others will work hard for you. And as a new manager, the first time being responsible for other people to get the work done, you need people to follow you. You need people to work hard for you. So your reputation is right at the top of what do I need to do to get my team off to a good start. So what does it look like if a manager has a good reputation? And what behavior or skills do they use? Now, before we go through these, this detailed list, here's one thing that I want to say. If as we're going through these, you find that you may not be as strong in one of these skills or one of these behaviors or another, don't worry. These skills are learnable. You just have to set it out as part of your development strategy to work on these individual skills. And if you have something that appears to be a barrier to helping you move past that, just give me a call. A couple of coaching sessions probably could clear that out, and I would really love to help you. But the key here is that the skills and behaviors are learnable. So when a manager has a good reputation, they can be trusted. So what does that look like? It means that they are consistent with their words and actions, meaning they don't play favoritism amongst the team. They don't take one team member to lunch and not the other. They don't give one person a bonus and not the other. They don't let one person work from home and not the other. It's being consistent with their words and their actions and their rules. People can usually live in the confines of the rules 
if the rules are applied equally. Now, when a manager has a good reputation, they do what he or she promises. A great manager doesn't make promises that they can't keep. And if they do make an agreement, they keep it whether it is spoken, written, or implied. The important thing around this particular thing is communication. So many times as a manager, we make agreements or promises based on the information that we have at the time. And if there's one thing we know for sure, the business changes often. So if something changes and the agreement you've made is difficult to keep, you need to immediately have a conversation with the person you made the agreement with. Explain to them the situation and then do everything you can to possibly keep the agreement as you promised. But if you can't, you need to communicate the reasons why. A manager with a good reputation actually produces good results. In today's workforce where we're flatter and leaner, there is no such thing as a manager or a director who doesn't have their own workloads. It just doesn't exist anymore. Gone are the days when you became a people manager that all you did was manage people. People managers today have their own workload as well as an obligation to get the work done through other people and manage their time as well as their own. So a manager that pulls their own weight and adds value to the company is respected and appreciated. Sometimes pulling your own weight will mean that occasionally you're going to have to roll up your shirt sleeves and help your team. Now, this can get a little slippery here, and so I throw out some caution that you don't want to do their work. You just want to lend a hand if it's needed. And if it's not needed, stay out of their way. <laughs> Give them your directions and let them do the job. But sometimes if there's a crisis or there's a heavy workload, sometimes just lending a hand will go miles in helping your reputation and morale of your team. A manager with a good reputation is pleasant to work for. If your team likes to work for you, if your peers like to work with you, it will be perceived more favorably. A manager with a good reputation is knowledgeable and creative in their chosen field. It's very important that you know your stuff and that you stay on top of the changing business initiatives. But here's the thing. A manager doesn't have to know everything. You can't be the subject matter expert on everything that your team does. Sometimes you're going to have to rely on the expertise of your teammate to carry the team or to inform you about what's happening on a project or an initiative. Being knowledgeable enough to know what the expectations are of the project, how this can affect the project, really is what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about you knowing everything because as a manager, we simply can't. And it's not even part of our expectation. A manager with a good reputation and who practices these behaviors will be an asset to the company. Now, conversely, a manager with a bad reputation 
manager with a bad reputation can't be trusted. And they may find that they're micromanaged and they may wonder why and they may complain about it. Well, the reason is they can't be trusted by their boss or maybe even by their team. They don't follow through on commitments. And so you may see the team has a very low morale. And when you bring about something new and exciting that they have to work on or an opportunity for them, you may see they have pretty low energy around the event because they're just not sure if it's real because you've let them down before. They don't get the job done when others do. Results of their work are somewhat disappointing. And they can be difficult to work with, simply not a team player. Someone who's very competitive, always have to show that they know the most, always have to dominate conversations in a meeting. Those people are difficult to work with. And consequently, you can get a bad reputation. Managers with a bad reputation, they just don't have the right skills or aptitude to be a great people manager. But like I said, the skills are learnable. So you may be asking then how can I learn what my current reputation is? Well, there are many, many ways to get this information, but here are the three that I would recommend. The first one, simply ask. Now, this method works well if the environment that you work in has an honest and open feedback system. But you should be able to ask your boss to tell them, to tell you how the business sees your contribution to the organization. And they should be able to give you a pretty clear picture of the areas that you may want to spend some time working on. Now, if you don't get from that, what you're looking for, then you can simply observe. Observe meetings and business gatherings, and particularly look and see how people respond to you. Listen to what they say closely. Are people excited to be on the team with you? Do people want to go to lunch with you to talk about things? Or do you sometimes feel like you get the cold shoulder? So observe the behaviors within your organization. The third thing you can do is to use an objective third party. Sometimes peers and managers are reluctant to provide feedback. You can ask HR or you can hire an outside facilitator to interview your key stakeholders. This personally is my favorite way to get feedback on my reputation and my team's reputation. I recently did this. Um, when I first started in one of my um, global jobs, um, we hired someone, we, we agreed on a, uh, some questions, they went out, they interviewed all of my key stakeholders, it allowed their feedback to be anonymous, I knew that it came from, you know, my customers, or I knew that it came from upper management, but I didn't know specifically who said what, it allowed them to speak more freely. And then we could gather that information and bring it back to the team to say, here's what our customers think. Here's what the boss thinks. Here's what our executive team thinks. And here's what our colleagues think. And it was uh, really a great opportunity to, to get feedback. 
I see we have an email come in. Fantastic. Let me pull this up real quick. Okay, this email is from Natasha in New Jersey. Hi, Natasha. Thanks for taking the time to send the email. She wants to know what kind of questions to ask for in order to get feedback. Oh, that's a fabulous question. Um, thank you. One important thing here, um, as I was talking about what I did with the, with the facilitator that I hired, is that you want to come to uh, agreement with the facilitator and yourself and perhaps your boss with the important things that you want to ask and you want to be sure to ask the same series of questions to everyone. Uh, you want to go to one group of people and ask one kind of question and then go to another one and ask another kind of question. You'll get answers that are going to be inconsistent and, and you're not going to be able to see themes that you'll be able to work from. So ask everyone the same, same question. Here's some questions that you, you may wanna think about asking. Um, what is the most important contribution this manager can make for the organization? What's the most important contribution this team can make to the organization? What do you like most about working with this team? What do you like least? And then, of course, you're going to want to spend some time thinking about what is it that you need to know to keep your team moving forward. So that's a great question, Natasha. If I didn't answer it fully, just drop me an email, brinda at brindabairdcoaching.com, and I'd be happy to discuss it with you further. That's great. Thanks. So the reputation of a manager is critical. And what I often see so many times with new managers or first-time managers is that there is this confidence that can come from being an individual contributor or a technical expert who has reached a very high level of success with their individual con contributor job. And they're looked to as the expert and they're, they're sought after for their advice and um, their technical expertise. And that can oftentimes bring with it a confidence with that first-time manager that oftentimes can work against them. This, I think, is the biggest challenge of our workplace today, is that in order to reward employees for being great, great employees and for being really smart and really making a contribution, the way business does that today is they advance them in their career. And typically, someone who's been very good, let's say at sales or engineering, can be rolled up into a management job and the boss will say, they were so successful in managing their own time, managing their own work, getting things done on time at a very high level. I'm sure that they will be able to do excellent work when I put them in charge of the other seven engineers or the other seven um, salespeople. But here's the thing. The skills that you use to become that expert, to be to manage your time, to meet your deadlines, to do your work, 
is a, an entirely different set of skills to manage the time and prioritize the tasks of other people. It's a totally different set of skills to motivate people to do the work. And so my challenge to the workplace today is that think about when you have high potential talent that really, really contributes to an organization, are they really ready for the promotion? Or are there skills that they need to learn before you put them into the management role? And I have had so many first-time managers that I've coached who will say to me, I don't have to worry about this thing called time management. I have been a good time manager all through high school, all through college, in my professional career. I don't have a problem with time. And then as soon as they hop into their manager role, one of the first things that happens to them is that they don't know how to delegate tasks and they find themselves doing all the work. They don't know how to prioritize other people's work, and so they oftentimes will either give someone too much work or someone not enough work and they get bored, or the distribution of work is unfair in a way that opportunity isn't spread equally. They also have their own workload to take care of, and they may not make time for an open door time for employees to come and talk with problems and, and ways that they can get direction from the manager. And so this whole concept of time, if we just take that one skill, that is a classic example of how time management skills as a subject matter expert, individual contributor, and time management skills for a people manager are two entirely different uses of that word. And so that's the challenge that all first-time managers are faced with, that oftentimes they get promoted before they have an opportunity to be exposed to some of this other skill set. And so they hop into that role and it's as if they're hopping, drive, diving right into ice water. It's exhilarating and shocking all at the same time. They're so happy to be a manager, but within those first few weeks, Quickly, they're overwhelmed, they don't know what to do first, and they can become quite discouraged. And the problem with this is that if that happens in the first, say, 30, 60 days of a manager put into role, your reputation is at stake. And we've just gone over all of the reasons why a positive rep reputation is important to your career. And so... That's why before you take a management role or before you promote your next first-time manager, think about getting them some proper preparation, some proper training to prepare them for this new set of skills that they're going to have to um, call on. Looks like we may have a caller. Hello? And the first oh. and last words of your filthy sewers will be, sir. They okay, well, we will not worry about that caller. And click. All right. Okay, so in our remaining time tonight, let's talk about my favorite segment now, the happiness work segment. 
In this segment, we explore the concepts and theories about making our workplace happier. Now, one thing that can stand in the way of our happiness are the labels that we put on things, on events, on people, and even on ourselves in order to define our identity. So what label have you attached to yourself lately? You know, labels are like that voice inside your head. They're the tags that you attach to yourself to describe the person you think you are. Are you a successful career professional? Are you a super mom? Are you a deadbeat dad? Are you a loser, an ugly person, a sex bomb, a fatty, a good for nothing? Are you smart? Are you not smart? We put ourselves in these boxes trying to define who we are. We do it to others and we do it to ourselves, whether they're positive or negative. What we whisper to ourselves every day has a great influence on our self-concept and it dictates the direction of our thoughts and actions. We are who we think we are. And those who think of themselves kindly are happier. So what are the impacts then of this self-criticism that we, sometimes we call this our inner critic? Well, it simply restricts your potential by keeping you confined in that negative energy. It is self-prophetic. If you believe you're useless, your actions and thoughts will be that of a useless person. Sometimes the barrier for overcoming that can be a challenge. And so seeking an objective outside person to help you work through that, those thoughts, and have you sort of reframe the situation can help you to shift your perspective. If you feel unhappy and often you're unaware, you may be unaware, that it is your thoughts that are at the cause of that. You know, all of that inner critic stuff can actually cause physical symptoms like migraines, nausea, anxiety attacks, and stomach aches, and is considered to be a major contributor to depression and anxiety. There are record numbers of people taking medication for depression and anxiety. So how then do you avoid the negative label? Well, being aware when you're undermining yourself is a positive step in the right direction. Although we know the truths about ourselves, constantly highlighting a weakness or a mistake or calling ourselves names will lead to unhappiness and it really undermines our potential as a manager. The labels we attach to ourselves can be a powerful motivator or detractor. Where that label actually comes from, whether from society or some self-judgment from childhood, which is where it typically comes from, it really doesn't matter as much as how you can become aware of that thought, be aware of the negative energy, and then how do I shift my energy perspective? When you hear that inner critic label appear, the boss, or even you, Here's some things you can do to challenge the label with the following questions. The first one is, is that a fact that can be disputed or is that just my interpretation? What evidence do I have that this is fact? Now, sometimes we exaggerate a situation. We blow things out of proportion at the height of feeling our emotions. Gather the facts 
and examine them first. If you failed at a task and you didn't reach your goal, does that really make you a hopeless good for nothing? Not really. Do your coworkers, friends, and family think of you the way that you think of you? What do they think about you? Is their image of you the same as your self-image? Negative thoughts have a way of getting out of control, and some of us are simply self-critical. So check if you're not being just a little bit too harsh on yourself. You know, when I was in my coach's training, the first weekend of the training, they, or maybe it was the second, second weekend, um, they had us reach out to people that we loved our children, our close friends, our spouses, our significant others, and to ask them to give, give us three words that would describe us, that would describe me. And I also had to write down three words that described me. It was the most powerful exercise I had ever done because how I thought of me was not how the people in my life saw me, or experienced me. Sometimes things are beyond our control. However, we do have control over our behaviors or our emotions so that they manifest in a way that we can respond to a situation and show up in a way that works for us rather than against us. So when things get tough or when you feel a little stressed out, Take a break. Remove yourself from the stimulus and just connect to your heart. That means close your eyes, take three good deep breaths, and connect to your heart. Now, this may take a couple of minutes, but try to find who you truly are and ask greater intuition and discernment to get you through this situation. How do I want to show up in this situation? Ah, the Happiness Summit. It was such a powerful weekend, and there was so much to be learned over those three days. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this segment of Happiness at Work. One of the greatest things about bringing happiness into your leadership style is that happy people enjoy their work more. Happy people are more fun to be around. We spend more time at work than we spend in just about anything else in our life. And so we should be happy, and the people are around us should be happy too. And in order for us to do that, our energy matters. So take a look at those questions. Hopefully you wrote them down and reflect a little bit about how you want to show up so that you can lead from a place of happiness. So I hope this episode has given you something to reflect on and the courage to challenge your assumptions about being a great manager. Now join me on May 23rd for the last in the series of this management series called You Can't Keep Doing the Same Things and Get Different Results. On that episode, we're going to talk about the needs of the business change. That's the one thing we're pretty much guaranteed of, the needs of the business change. And so should our leadership style. So I'm going to share my tips for aligning your leadership style and your management style for both short-term and long-term success. 
And on our happiness work segment, I'll show you how to make the journey into management and not carry around the, the useless baggage of past experience. So that is really going to be some great stuff uh, to share. So I hope you will join me. Now, if for some reason you can't listen to these episodes live, you can find the link to the show archives on my website, brindabeardcoaching.com. And while you're there, click on my online booking calendar to schedule a free complimentary coaching session. So if any part of tonight's show or the previous episodes sound like something you want to work on as a first-time manager or a new manager or even a seasoned professional, just go to my website, brindabeardcoaching.com, and book some time on my calendar for a free complimentary coaching session. I would love to help you work through it. Remember to share your happiness and strive to make happiness a blessing that is accessible to everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you on May 23rd. That's a wrap, Tommy. Be safe and have fun.